not those who get their way, and, and God's not looking for us to force our way. There are teachings in the, the Sermon on the Mount on what we, you and I would call major issues. Murder is pretty much a major issue, wouldn't you say? <laughs> Murder and anger. Murder is, is anger brought to fruition. Anger is the emotion of murder. We read that in the Scriptures. Temptation. And boy, there's a lot of that going on today. Uh, turn on any TV program, read any book, look on anywhere on the Internet, uh, walk down the street. It's, it's everywhere. Temptation, adultery, the desire to commit adultery, lust, divorce. Uh, you know, they say one out of every two marriages is ending in divorce, but they're not telling you that a lot of those are repeat divorces. In other words, it's one person who's been divorced more than once. The divorce rate's not quite one in two of every single new marriage, uh, but yet divorce is taken very lightly. It's just, you know, the marriage covenant between a man and a woman is not viewed as a holy and sacred thing as it once was uh, in Christian society. Oaths, the taking and uh, giving of oaths. There's dangers of swearing an oath. We're not, the Bible says, swear not at all, neither by heaven nor by earth. Let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. We ought to live in such a way that if I tell you yes, that's just as good as if you, I signed some kind of a contract with you. That's, that's the way we ought to be. Loving our enemies. Oh, brother. Love your enemies, a distinctly Christian attribute. Our Father is kind to all, and so should we be. Now, does that mean if I'm at home and somebody kicks my door in and comes in slapping my wife around, that I'm supposed to say, we're glad to have you here tonight? No. It doesn't encompass anything like that. But it does mean that when people who are opposed to us are gritting their teeth and, you know, their eyeballs are bulging, that we're gracious to them and, and not, uh, in turn, act back like, like they are. Let me read you a little quote by Charles Spurgeon. Scriptural perfection is attainable. It lies rather in proportion than in degree. A man's character may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing, and yet such a man will be the very first to admit that the grace which is in him is in its infancy. In other words, there's more growth to be. And though perfect as a child in all its parts, it has not yet attained unto the perfection of a, a full-grown manhood. So God doesn't expect out of you more than he's put into you. Does that make sense? God does not expect more from you than he has enabled you to do. And your rate of progressive sanctification, your rate of growth, is determined somewhat by the things you do, but a lot of that is, is how is God working with me. Uh, besides this idea of... Uh, teaching on major issues, I want to look at for just a brief moment and kind of break them down and give you some things. The command of God has always included hatred when he said, Thou shalt not kill. Now, I don't believe in hate crimes uh, that are by the government where they dictate, well, you did so-and-so because you hate these people and 
Uh, I don't think the government has any right to say that your thoughts or my thoughts or anybody else's thoughts are a crime. Now, they may lead to a crime and all that, but I'm, I'm, I'm talking about in the legal sense, I don't think the government has a right to dictate to you and me what we can think or what we can say because eventually they're going to tell us we can't preach in the name of Christ, won't be able to uh, contend against abortion, won't be able to contend against immorality. So I don't believe in that kind of a hate crime. But when you start talking about killing people, in the book of 1 John, he says, if you hate somebody, you're a murderer. You've had the emotion, you just hadn't had the action. And so we're told in, in the Word of God that we're not supposed to do that. Uh, the hatred involves, remember Jesus said, don't say raka to your brother, don't say thou fool. It means a worthless fella. And what are you doing? You're killing somebody in their reputation. Gossip and talking about people kills people's reputation, and that's a wrong thing for us to do. Thou fool, it is to kill him as the noblest characteristics, as to the noblest characteristics of a man. We're, as believers, we're not supposed to go around talking about people, even people with whom we disagree, or people who have uh, disagreed strongly with us. We're still not supposed to gossip and um, mouth about them and, and down talk them. What good's that going to do? The answer is none. Our king restores the law of God, denouncing not only the act of killing, but every thought, feeling, and word that would tend to wound a brother or annihilate him by contempt. I am not allowed to be a racist. I cannot hate black people. I cannot hate yellow people. I cannot hate red people. I'm not allowed to do that. You say, well, you just don't understand, Pastor. Yeah, I do. I grew up in the South. I do understand. I've had five family members murdered. They were all murdered by black people, but to me they were just criminals. The color of their skins, it has nothing to do with the criminality of a person. And so, the, you know, I, we're not allowed to hate people because of their skin tone. Look in here. we got some people kind of light-skinned, some a little fairer than others, some a little more ruddy than others. Are we going to start saying the whiter you are, the better you are? You know, we can't do that. John Gill, in his, one of his commentaries, I, I've tried to find it. I got it jotted down in my notes somewhere. <clears throat> but in Song of Solomon, he said, My beloved is white and ruddy. That's the, the text of Scripture. My beloved is white and ruddy, chiefest among 10,000. And John Gill, in, in his commenting, said, That proves that the white race is the most beautiful race in the world. What a silly statement. The, the, the Word of God didn't, didn't teach that. as just something that man conjured up. We see in, uh, as we expand the thought process here, see in verse 21 you've heard, said of them old time, thou shalt not kill. And Jesus takes it beyond just the action. And picking up in verse number 30, uh, excuse me, verse 27, down through verse 30, he talks about adultery. Tradition made the act unlawful. God intends that the motions, desires, and thoughts be deemed sinful. If we let our thoughts run to whatever in a, in a sensual way, then we've just about gone ahead and committed the act, hadn't we? Now, I understand we'd rather it be all up here than, than in a physical act, but the action does not occur in a vacuum is what I'm trying to get to. There has to be a thought process behind it. 
our king stretches out his scepter even over our thoughts. I'm to love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my mind. I'm to bring every thought into the captivity of Christ. That's what the Bible says. So he stretches his scepter over our thoughts. The legal part doesn't have that authority, but God does have that kind of authority. That's why as Christians, we ought to live better than the law requires. Our testimony and such ought to be that you couldn't touch us in those areas. And the law that they're passing, trying to force other people to not hate this one or not hate that one, all that's going to do is cause chaos amongst them. And, and we're trying to live a, a Christian godly life, you see. A high standard for divorce, not the low bar that men have set. Well, we just irreconcilable differences. We just couldn't get along. And uh, probably shouldn't have got married in the first place. I, I agree that might have happened. Uh, but we're supposed to work at things. And divorce ought not to be... Um, well, what I tell young couples when I'm counseling about marriage, I said, take that word and erase it from your vocabulary and decide that you're going to stay married to your spouse and you're going to work out whatever it takes to deal with that. Amen. Oaths, look in verse 33. Again, you heard it hath been said by them old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform to the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, swear not all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it's, it's his footstool. We need to be careful about making oaths. We ought to live in such a way that our testimony is that we can be trusted. We're not to swear oaths, but our word of affirmation or denial is to be sufficient. We ought to give loyalty uh, to, our, to our words. If I promise somebody something, I ought to stick to it. If I sign a contract, to pay a car note, I can't take my car note money and go on vacation with it. If I sign a mortgage note, for God forbid for 30 years, but sometimes we have to to get the note down because it's so, the expenses are so high. But if I sign a note for 15 years or 20 or 30, whatever it might be, I am obligated to take that money every month and pay that bill. I can't use it for anything else. I made a promise. And if for some reason I can't pay my bills, I need to go face those folks and say, here I am, this is what I can do, and I, this is what I can't do, what can we work out? And almost always, even today, they'll still try to work with you. Forgiveness. Verse 38, you've heard it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say unto you that ye resist not evil. In the scripture in the Old Testament, when it said an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, burning for burning, stripe for stripe, all of those things, what the Bible was requiring is that the punishment fit the crime. In those days, if you frowned in front of the king, they could take your head off. In those days, if you entered into the presence of the king uninvited, and he didn't agree for you to be there, they just dragged you out and hung you. And so... Uh, even in our society, we hung people for stealing cows. I know it's bad to steal a guy's cows, but really, a human being is worth more than an animal. Zachary had to answer a question, and he's taking an ethics class. And they said, a fire starts in the pet store. You have two options. There's an old man 
who's a registered sex offender because he's a child molester. And then there's a cage full of nice little bunny rabbits over here who can't get out. What do you do? And he asked me, and I said, Zachary, the answer is always human life. Human life first. But they'll try to throw those kinds of value things out. You know, here's a young girl, you know, and she's over here, and there's an older person over there. You know, they can't get out. What can you do? You've got to save one. And the answer is you try to save them both. You do your dead-level best to save both. They're trying to get you to value one person above another. And that's the way the world does things. We don't. We don't do that. Now, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, burning for burning, stripe for stripe, just make sure the punishment suits the crime. And we don't have much of that. Our federal system's broke. Evidently, it depends on who you are, where you're placed, what your political affiliation is, and how much influence you've got, whether you're going to jail or not. But we are to be forgiving. If any man, verse 40, will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him also have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go twain with him. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow thee, turn thou not away. We're supposed to have a forgiving spirit, uh, forbearance and enduring personal Ill, Ill treatment. Our standards to be higher than the world's. Our personal rightness or position is not what's important in the scheme of things. America has reached the place, I am for individual liberties, now listen to me close, but we have reached the place to where radical individualism is more important than anything else. And, and so you, a person marks out some kind of a position about what they want to be, what they want to hold, or what they want to do, and they don't care if it destroys everything around them so long as they get to do what they want to do. And liberty never granted us that. Freedom does not include the right to destroy everything else except what I want. We're to be a forgiving people. Forgiving. If you won't forgive, you're going to lead a tough life. You're going to be unhappy a lot. Uh, Weege and I have been married 51 years. And we've disagreed a few times through those years. But we forgive. Usually it's me that has to ask for forgiveness. And that's probably right. I'm, hey, listen, this, this is how I feel about that. If I'm going to be the man of the house, be the leader, then I ought to be willing to ask forgiveness. If I expect my wife to ask me, if I expect my children to ask me, how can I expect them to do it if I don't model it in front of them? Amen? Verse 43 through 48 talks about loving our enemies. We're to bless where the old nature would bid us to curse. I mean, you know, all these things we're, we're looking at in this Sermon on the Mount. Being perfect. All these things we just read, he said, be perfect. Don't hate. Forgive. Don't swear. Don't have to give an oath. Be a forgiving person. Understand that people make mistakes sometimes. And then he said, be perfect. No unforgiving and revengeful, revengeful spirit is allowed. We ought to have a universal attitude of love to guide us. These are not our aim. Are we really a believer in Christ if we deny these things? But here's the problem. I ain't. 
I ain't perfect. That may not be good English, but it's good preaching. I am not perfect. I got a, I got a flesh nature, and so do you. Sometimes my desires are not exactly what they ought to be. Every one of us has got a pet sin or two or three. The sin which does so easily beset us. Sometimes I have a lack of grace towards others. Uh, you know, if I'm, if I'm driving down the interstate and somebody's coming on on an on-ramp, I am not required to get over to let them in. They are to pace themselves. Now, courtesy would expect me to get over, but sometimes you can't do that because there's an 18-wheeler over here or another car over here or something coming close to you, and so you can't. And so this person over here <coughs> gets mad at you, makes faces at you. Uh, we got run off the road up here at Walmart the other day. We, you, three lanes, one coming in, one going across the highway in this way, then the other one going down the highway. So here we sit, and we got ready to go. This guy right here decided he won't turn right. Just run us off the road. I blew the horn, but I didn't yell at him. And it wasn't very much later, somebody just pulled right out in front of us. I'm going down the highway, 55 mile an hour. And they just pulled right in, and I'm, I had to sit on my horn. I didn't know if they saw me or what, and there wasn't any way for me to work around them. And... When they finally did get straightened out, get in the road, come up, they pull up next to us. Let's make sure that our lack of grace towards others doesn't goad such things. And sometimes I have a difficult time forgiving other people. I have to work at it. Not always easy to do. Well... That leads me to these four statements I've got. Are you ready? Number one, if only he had said, be as perfect as you can be. That's not what he said. Now, in Hebrews, it talks about as much as life in you be at peace with all men. There's a measure of what's in me. But when he said for me to be perfect, he didn't say be as perfect as you can be. He said be perfect like your Father in heaven is perfect. That's a tall tale. I mean, that's a tall, tall commandment, tall order, I guess is the correct uh, term to use. He didn't say be perfect, be the most perfect person in church. Be the most perfect person in the state of Tennessee. He didn't say that. Be perfect as your Father, therefore in heaven, is perfect. That means I'm going to be working at this the rest of my life. I'm not ever going to make it till I get to heaven. Secondly, if only he had said, be perfect like a grown man compared to a child. I used that illustration early on. That's Charles Spurgeon's illustration. That's not what Jesus said. Be ye therefore perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Didn't say be perfect like a child is perfect until they grow up. Awful quiet.
Well, if all that's not enough, he said, be ye perfect. He said, be ye holy, for I am holy. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15, 16. And there's Old Testament text, Leviticus as well. The Lord says to us, in love, I don't think thundering out of judgment, be therefore perfect as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. This Sermon on the Mount's not a, an assault on our humanity. It's an expansion of, of where we're living. And then he says, be ye holy, for I'm holy. I guess I need to know how unholy I am so I can make some progress. I need to know where I am. In, in, I have a relationship with God through salvation. I'm His child. He's my Father. But my fellowship with Him and, and my how am I relating to Him? Am I being uh, wholehearted or am I just mully grubbing around and trying to get by? Be ye holy for I'm holy. The word holy doesn't mean to stop sinning. It means not only to stop sinning but to hate sin. Holiness is absolutely repulsive to sin, and sin's repulsive to holiness. Number four, here's a little relief for us. You ready? Since I'm not perfect, what do I do? You know, in the book of 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, it says, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. Oh, me. But then he went on to say this, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Which was a nice way of saying, when you do sin, here's how you deal with it. So I'm not perfect, so what do I do? Number one, do not despair and throw in the towel. I was watching some boxing on YouTube, this big old fat guy named Butterbean. How many of y'all ever know anything about Butterbean? And... You wouldn't think a guy that fat could throw a punch very good, but he must hit like a freight train because he was laying people out right and left. But he got to fighting some guy, and I mean he was rocking his world, and the guy'd get up and he'd knock him back down. And finally the, the guys in his corner just started throwing everything they had. They threw towels and water. They threw everything they had trying to get him to stop. He wanted to keep fighting. Don't throw in the towel. Just because you failed and you're faltering, you're struggling. I got news for everybody else is too. You're not the only one. Don't ever believe that lie. All of God's people struggle. Secondly, under this fourth point, that's how you get by with having lots to say. Philippians. Let me show you a text over in Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. Remember what Paul said. Paul, probably the greatest Christian ever lived, wouldn't you say? Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I'm apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You can't live in the past 
and have victory in the present. Forgetting those things which are behind. Doesn't mean they didn't happen, but it means they don't matter anymore. They're under the blood. I've confessed them. I've dealt with them. something I've done since I got saved. I cannot allow those things to stop me from where I, I, where I am. Press toward the mark. Then here's the last thought involved with that sense I'm not perfect. Don't be satisfied with where you are, spiritually speaking. Don't be satisfied. If you, you know you've got some things going on, get hungry. Blessed are they that do what? Hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Father, you told us to be perfect, and I shudder as I read the words and think about the reality of it. You told us to be holy, and I, I see myself, and I'm certainly not holy. But yet you love us. You saved us with an everlasting salvation. And you told us to let go of the past. Forgetting those things which are behind, we need to reach and press forward. God grant us grace to do that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. This is David Smith, music pastor at Grace Baptist Church in West Columbia, South Carolina. Thank you for listening to btmradio.org.
There are forces in the world today who oppose our Christian faith. They attempt to destroy everything that's holy and control what preachers say. But God still has a few good men who won't bend, won't bow, or burn. They will fight to the end to defend that faith until the day that the whole world learns. There are things we won't give over. There are things worth fighting for. The book and 